Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning. It is 7.30 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene, the headline of the morning so far. In the corporate world, Salesforce.com going to buy Demandware, $75 a share in cash, $2.8 billion net deal. Uh, Salesforce shares down 2%, as you might expect. Demandware, you wish you owned that this morning, up 56% right now. The uh, Renault-Nissan Alliance is going to begin hiring tech workers out in California. 300 tech experts this month go on the payroll as they try to lure workers away from Silicon Valley to the car industry, software engineers with experience in vehicle connectivity and mobility services the, is what they say they're looking for. Uh, Xiaomi bought nearly 1,500 technology patents from Microsoft. The deal may smooth some potential legal tangles for Xiaomi over intellectual property as it goes beyond China's borders. The patents uh, range of wireless communications, video cloud, multimedia stuff. Uh, part of a broader agreement announced Wednesday. Microsoft Office and Skype will come pre-installed on the Chinese smartphone makers' devices. Now let's check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael. Mike, thank you very much. Egyptian officials say a French ship has picked up signals in the Mediterranean Sea, presumed to be from the flight recorders, the black boxes of the Egypt Air plane that crashed last month. Egypt Air Flight 804 crashed, killing all 66 passengers and crew on board. The plane was heading from Paris to Cairo when it crashed. A flooded Brazos River already has reached a record height, and forecasters say more flooding will take place with rain coming in the following days. The National Weather Service says the river is likely to stay in a major flood stage into the weekend. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike? Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Land Rover Parsippany Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. Here's John Stash. All right, thanks, Mike. Bullpens did in both the Mets and the Yankees. It was a Met bullpen that actually included Noah Syndergaard for the seventh inning since his last start was cut so short when he got thrown out. The problem was Hansel Robles in the eighth. He gave up three runs, and the White Sox, who had lost seven in a row, rallied from 4 nothing down to win 6-4 at City Field. Neil Walker had his 13th home run of the loss. No decision for Stephen Matz, who came in having won seven straight starts. In Toronto, Yankee bats again quiet, only six hits. That's just 12 in the last three games. A 4-1 loss to the Blue Jays, who got three in the seventh, mostly off Dellen Batances. And the Yanks have now dropped five of the last seven since that six-game win streak that got them to 500. There's seven and a half games behind the Red Sox, who won 6-2 at Baltimore thanks to Mookie Betts. He hit three home runs. The Cubs' six-game win streak ended by the Dodgers, 5-0, and no decision for Jake Arrieta. The Cubs had won their last 23 regular season games when Arrieta had started. WNBA at the Garden, the Liberty lost to unbeaten Minnesota, 79-69. French Open today, Serena Williams won her match, but Sister Venus lost. With the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stashauer. Thank you, John. Well, right now we're looking at a rough morning for risk. It is a risk-off day with futures lower and oil prices lower. OPEC starting a meeting this week. Uh, West Texas 48.46 down a 
1.3%. Same percentage shop for Brent crude right now at 49.24. OPEC not expected to take any action. However, um, always a surprise possible out there. And uh, whether or not that's weighing on stocks or not, as we mentioned, we're uh, looking at a, a down day for stocks around the world. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keen. The numbers on the markets, the stock 600 off by four points, 1.1%. S&P futures off by eight points, four tenths. Dow futures down 67 points, also four tenths. Time now for the Bloomberg NJIT STEM report brought to you by New Jersey Institute of Technology, investing more than $110 million a year in applied research to solve problems and improve life. Learn more at storiesofinnovation.njit.edu. Here's Bob Moon. Michael, good morning. Here's what's making news in science, technology, engineering, and math. A collection of salary surveys points to a bright outlook for compensation in the life sciences field, with some areas jumping in pay, although salaries in some job positions remain flat. Deloitte's 2016 Global Life Sciences Outlook finds the sector continues to grow worldwide, but there is steady pressure to reduce costs, increase efficiency, and prove value. The shortage of skilled workers and the difficulty in retaining them continue to be a top operational challenge. According to the Deloitte study, new technologies and retiring baby boomers are creating shifts in skill sets and organizational needs, creating further difficulty in hiring and retaining necessary talent. Meantime, a study from Randstad Life Sciences finds positions related to drug safety have increased in demand as the need for patient safety grows. And the top salary in a survey by the industry publication and website The Scientist goes to a Ph.D. working as a full professor specializing in biotechnology or clinical research. Research. Microsoft unveiled a new platform based on its Windows 10 software, catering to virtual and augmented reality technology developed by other companies. Windows Holographic will enable rival headsets to interact with each other. The company expects over 80 million virtual reality devices to be in use by 2020. And that's this morning's Bloomberg NJIT STEM report. Michael, before long, we won't have to interact with anything real. Uh, it's, it's look. As long as you stay real. Okay. You know. I don't want to sit next to a robot here. <laughs> no comment, Tom Keene. Uh, all right. Well, uh, it is a big day for economic data, not just here in the U.S., but around the world. A uh, lot of purchasing managers indexes uh, get a, a view of the health of manufacturing around the world. We get ours, the ISM Manufacturing Index, at 10 a.m. The forecast is for it to drop to 50.3 from 50.8. We've seen a lot of what you would call meh, I don't know if that's an economic term, uh, numbers so far around the world. In Europe, uh, a little bit of a decline. In the U.K., a little bit of a rise. In China, no change at all, and that was considered uh, good news for the day. Joseph Lake is the director of global forecasting from the Economist Intelligence Unit. He uh, joins us now, and uh, Joseph, the um, the comment of the morning may have come from uh, Japanese Prime Minister Abe, who said uh, uh, one of the reasons he is postponing the sales tax increase in Japan is that there does seem to be a global slowdown coming. And the manufacturing numbers certainly would add some weight to that. How do you see it at EIU? Well, I think that 
Abe's comments, I mean, it's, it's always much easier for a prime minister to blame developments outside of the domestic economy, an external shock or something like that, and a global slowdown. It's, it's often the fall guy for difficulties at home. For us, the global outlook this year looks pretty similar to, to last year. We're in the middle of um, a change in the global economic cycle. So staying here in the U.S., it's really at the forefront of the economic recovery since the financial crises. Um, the Eurozone is doing a lot better than it has done for several years. Japan is muddling along. It has bigger issues to face with its, with its terrible demographics. But the real damage that's been done this year is in the emerging markets, and they've been hit by a couple of factors. Really, the, the Fed rate rise has led to a lot of capital fleeing emerging markets, led to a lot of currency depreciations. So all of the, the BRICs are, are going through a tough time apart from India. Um, we're seeing the Chinese slowdown. is having a big impact on a lot of emerging markets as well. And then finally, we're probably around the bottom of this commodity price slump, which has been coming for the last few years, and that's hit a lot of commodity exporters. So there's a lot of headwinds to the global economy right now, but actually the developed countries, the rich world countries, are, are doing okay, I would say, at the moment. Well, that raises a lot of questions about the outlook going forward because the Fed is considering another rate increase. Has the damage been done to emerging markets, or is there more? to be concerned about? Well, the Fed rate increase, I think that tells us two stories, really. And the first story it tells us is that the U.S. economy is in very good shape right now, better shape than it has been for, for almost a decade. And that's a very straightforward story here where we've got this incredible consumer spending story. You saw the data released yesterday, which showed that consumer spending in April increased by the most in one month for seven years. I mean, that's really an incredible uh, month for the U.S. economy. However, it's being weighed down a little bit by, by weak exports um, and weak business investment, and that's uh, the oil price story, and that's particularly concentrated in the energy market. So the overall U.S. macroeconomic outlook right now is very good, and that's why Janet Yellen is moving towards a second-rate increase. What that means for emerging markets, a bit more difficulty for the next few months. We think that this year uh, emerging markets are, are going to have another quite difficult year, and next year is the turning point. So 2017, we see commodity prices starting to rise at that point. That will help out a lot of countries. Think Brazil, think Russia, think places like Saudi and Nigeria as well. So the commodity price increase will help them. Um, and it will take a little bit of pressure off the exchange rates, and we'll see a bit of a rebound in business investment across the emerging world then. Well, let's come back with Joseph Lake. He is uh, with the Economist Intelligent Unit. He's the Director of Global Forecasting, and it is a day when everybody is looking to the economy, the global economy, from Prime Minister Abe to investors here in the United States to try to figure out whether it is a risk-on or risk-off day. So far, it is a risk-off day. As we mentioned, futures are lower, bonds are higher, bond yields have been falling significantly on the short end, which is interesting because, of course, that's the most sensitive to the Fed. 87 basis points yesterday at this time. We were at 93. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Seeing what others have seen but uncovering what others may not. Global research that helps you harness disruption. Voted top global research firm five years running. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash.
And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit SectorSPDRS.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. Michael Kors Holdings reporting fourth quarter earnings that beat analyst estimates after new products helped draw customers to its stores. It's up 6.3% in early trading. Under Armour down 2.5%, cutting its annual forecast after one of its largest customers, Sports Authority, moved toward a disruption liquidation of its stores. National Bank of Canada saying fiscal second quarter profit fell 48% after setting aside more money to cover soured energy loans. The lender raised its quarterly dividend 1.9%. U.S. stock index futures are falling after the S&P 500 capped its longest monthly rally since 2014. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures down 6 points, Dow E-mini futures down 59, and NASDAQ E-mini futures down about 12. The DAX in Germany's down 8 tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury up 6.30 seconds. The yield 1.82 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 1.2 percent or 61 cents to 48.49 a barrel. COMEX gold up a quarter percent or $3.10 to 12.20.60 an ounce. The euro $1.1169. The yen 109.26. And that's a Bloomberg business flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thank you very much. We're talking with Joseph Lake. He's the director of global forecasting for the Economist Intelligence Unit. And uh, we, we mentioned at the uh, beginning uh, what Prime Minister Abe said about a global slowdown in train. He was obviously speaking as part of his announcement that he is delaying a sales tax increase in Japan until 2019. They are worried that that would slow the economy there as the Bank of Japan continues its efforts to restart growth. Uh, does this make a significant difference in the outlook, Joe? Sure. I mean, it definitely does. And I think it was the right move. I think that introducing the sale or increasing the sales tax at, at this stage would have been um, very harmful to the Japanese economy. And Abe really had no choice in the matter. He was faced with weak growth and even weaker inflation. So he kind of had to do this. Um, and he's also announced a fiscal stimulus as well. Um, and we're going to have an election now over the next couple of months in Japan as a result, which will really be um, a debate around Abenomics and how successful it has been. Well, the uh, opponents, uh, the opposition party in Japan, argues that uh, Prime Minister Abe has not really accomplished a whole lot and he's contributed to income inequality there. Uh, but do they have any ideas about what could be done differently or better? Right. So Abenomics, as you know, is based on three prongs or three arrows. There's the monetary side, the fiscal side, and the structural reforms. And, and what we've seen is Japan has really run up against the limit of what it can do on the monetary side. Um, and on the fiscal side, another stimulus um, package has, has been announced Again, but that's really not going to do a whole lot for the long-term sustainable growth outlook in Japan. And so what we need to see is more progress on the structural reform side. Um, But there, the government really faces quite strong opposition from lobby groups and lawmakers within the coalition. Um, because some of these reforms are really quite contentious. So we're talking about deregulating the labor markets, revamping the agricultural sector, and restructuring corporate governance. So these could all do a lot to increase the long-term potential of the Japanese economy, but they face really um, steadfast opposition. Something in EIU that you do so well is the so what. What is the so what for our listeners worldwide, and particularly across America, about the confusion of Abenomics and the chronic lethargy of Japan. What's the so what for us? 
the so what for everybody around the world is that Japan is still one of the biggest economies in the world. So when we see slower growth in Japan, that means lower demand for U.S. exports. That means lower FDI in the long run to a lot of countries around the world. So Japan is such a big economy and so important to the overall global outlook that even a small movement in the Japanese growth rate can mean um, waves around the world for, for every economy. So no, no matter where you're living, um, this has right. an impact on your future. What is the measurement of the urgency today? I mean, the, the prime minister was out front at G7 in saying the world economies in crisis of some level. I think he got some serious pushback on that. He recapitulated that this morning. What is the immediacy to the Japanese people to do something? I don't see it. I, I agree with you there. I think if you're um, living in Japan and you've got a job, you're, you're looking pretty safe right now. And that's the sort of that's, there's two stories here. There's one, if you're um, a Japanese worker, unemployment is extremely low. Life is generally quite good. The immediacy is really in the long term, to be honest. And um, so we've got this long-term debt problem in Japan, which will have to be faced at some stage. But like a lot of p- politicians around the world, that will be kicked down the road. And delaying the consumption tax will be good for the economy in the short term. But long term, it creates another big hole in the fiscal accounts. Well, I think you made a, a very interesting point there about life is good for uh... Um, people who have jobs in Japan now, because we've got a, a, an election uh, being fought uh, viciously, shall we say, over the lack of opportunity for people uh, that has developed over the last five or six years since the global economic crisis. But Japan's been in this kind of morass for uh, 25 or, or 30 years, and yet there's no um, – they, they, we don't have the kind of public protest – that we're seeing here or even in Europe over the economic situation. Why is that? I think that one of the problems with um, looking at Japan from the outside and one of the mistakes that a lot of people make is they look at the economic growth rate and they think that's been terrible for the last two decades. Life must be awful. But a lot of that growth rate is explained by the very weak demographics in Japan. So a much better um, method of comparison is to look at GDP per capita or, or growth per head. And on that measurement, Japan actually looks pretty similar to a lot of European economies and not too far removed from the U.S. over the last couple of decades. So so in terms of per capita growth, Japan has done quite well. But that, mean, that does not um, – that's not to say there's not a problem here. There is a problem here, and it's to do with um, debt over the longer term and, and the amount of debt that the economy is holding right now, which is a threat to the long-term health. You, excuse me, you have done a lot on this American election and on, on looking at the unfavorables and favorables. What have you learned in your forecasting about the relative unfavorableness, if that's a word, of Secretary Clinton and Mr. Trump. Uh, very good. Well, I think this is, these are two of the most unpopular presidential candidates uh, uh, in recent history. And we're looking back over the last 30 years, it's difficult to find two more unpopular candidates. And, and I think both sides are quite happy with the person that the other side has chosen. So Clinton is a very beatable candidate um, for the Republicans, which they're grateful for because they have um, chosen Trump, who is the most unpopular candidate in recent history. Um, For me, one of the most interesting aspects of this is how this has been viewed from abroad. So I go to Asia quite frequently, and there there are very strong concerns that the U.S. could elect a President Trump and what what that would mean for 
the global outlook, what that would mean for trade and, and the trade and investment environment around the world. And there are very strong concerns around the world about this U.S. presidential election. Does he uh, – does uh, – well, how, we get back to what we were talking about earlier. Uh, does Janet Yellen uh, have to function in as sort of the leader of the U.S. economy in absentia? Is monetary policy all we get? Well, the U.S. has been overly dependent on monetary policy since the financial crisis. It basically saved the U.S. economy back in 2008, 2009, and still now it's providing enormous support to the U.S. economy in the absence of any political leadership. Congress has not been functioning, really, for the last uh, few years. And so Janet Yellen is, is the best we, we have right now. What we would ideally like to see is a functioning political system. That looks unlikely to happen in the near term. Even after November, the likely is that we're going to face a divided executive in Congress, or at least a divided uh, Congress, with the Republicans likely to maintain a majority in the House, and with the Democrats looking likely to retake a majority in the Senate. So we cannot expect any sort of kickstart to the economy from, from Congress or the U.S. government anytime soon, and so monetary policy is all, all right. we're left with, and that's, that's slowly but, but surely going to start to be removed as a support to the economy over the next couple of Years. Uh, Joseph Flake, thank you so much with EIU, the Economist uh, Intelligence Unit, uh, this morning. Michael, a uh, yen put on a bid, stronger yen, lower number on dollar yen, and it won't let up. 109.22. Yeah. We're not near the 108 watch. 1.4. But we're getting there. Move uh, yeah. so far. Uh, probably not what the prime minister wanted to see. No. Renminbi takes a managed pause this morning, but... Uh, Certainly last five or six days, we've seen weaker Chinese yuan. I haven't even looked at JPY. For those of you with a terminal in your car, JPY, CNY, currency. And I would take it, Mike, of course, logarithmically. Of course you would. I would, of course, do that. And it's just a persistent renminbi weakness. Wow. That's that's something. And yen strength. I mean, there's all you need to know about abinomics. Here's an interesting. It's a uh, well-behaved time series. Interesting story out from Bloomberg: Goldman Sachs cutting investment job, investment banking jobs. Dozens of managing directors, executive directors, and vice presidents across the mergers and debt and equity capital markets teams have been culled. Culled. That's a new one. I've never heard the word. In London, is, New York. Does it and say Hong culled? Kong. No, it doesn't. That was that my, was your well. One. Actually, it does. Yes, uh, annually, uh, Goldman Sachs. Uh, calls five percent of its uh, employees, and uh, this may unlike be the young, unlike the young guy you are, we used to say laid off, <laughs> which of course is from the goods producing era. Nobody's yeah. laid off anymore; they're called. This is Bloomberg surveillance. Hopefully, we're not called. <laughs>